welcome to the Life Church Utah podcast. We are a church located in Salt Lake City, Utah. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. Check us out online at lifechurchutah.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, great to have each one of you uh, hanging with us today and uh, spending some time together in the house of the Lord as we uh, gather to worship Him and uh, really be drawn close to Him. So uh, thanks for making this a priority uh, this Sunday. Um, Yes, and and all I have right here, I've got a picture of my, my grandson, Sully, that was born... And yes, the most beautiful baby boy ever born to this planet. My children were ugly compared to this child, so. <laughs> so it is, uh, I've been a grandfather for a week, and so that's, uh, that's very, very exciting. And so very, yeah, it was great. So everybody's healthy and safe, and everybody is uh, doing good. So that's awesome. So all right. Makes me love uh, Johnny, my son. You guys, many of you know Johnny Langenegger. He's my son-in-law, and so it makes me love him even more. So uh, that's great. Um, a couple of things before we get into the message today. I'm going to invite up uh, Pastor Tate and Kristen to come on up here and join us. And uh, it is, uh, honestly, it is truly a joy to be able to introduce you to them officially as the student pastors of Life Church Utah, and so grateful that you guys chose to be part of our family. Thank you for uh, receiving the invitation. So why don't you just tell everybody a little bit, greet them, welcome, and uh, tell them a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, definitely. Well, good morning, Life Church. We are excited to be here. We come from North Dakota. I'm not sure if a lot of you have been there or not, but... Yeah, we are just really excited. We were youth pastors back in Fargo, North Dakota, and we are excited to be a part of the, the family ministries up here, the, the youth ministry mm-hmm. and all that. And we just really just felt a calling to Utah. Yep. After yep. speaking with mm-hmm. Pastor Rich and John and, and a couple of staff members and then really getting stepping into the church, we felt like you guys were already family. You guys sure. have been so loving, so welcoming. And so, yeah, we are excited. Um, I talk a lot sometimes, so if you ever need to need me to tell me to tone it down, just, just tell me to tone it down. It's, <laughs> it's cool. I won't get offended. So, yeah. But anyways, yes, we are so blessed. We are so honored to be here, and we are excited to call Life Church home. Now, how many kids do you have? Oh, yeah, I should talk about that. Yeah. So I have a seven-year-old, five-year-old, and Noah will be a, a year on September 6th. There so they are, three right kids. Yeah. And immediately following this service, we're going to have a, just a cookie reception uh, out in the main lobby area. We'd love to have you stop by there, grab a cookie at least. Even if you don't say hi to them, get a cookie. Uh, but say hi to them if you would like to. And uh, just a chance to welcome them uh, to the Life Church family. Now, I know you just sat down again. But in Life Church Utah, we believe in working those quads. And so can I have you stand up again? We're going to pray for them, ask God's blessing on them. Father, we are so, so grateful uh, for this couple. Thank you, God, for their family. Jesus, we pray a great anointing upon them. Father, we are believing, God, that you are going to reach the youth of the Salt Lake Valley and beyond, God, uh, through the ministry leadership that they're going to provide. And so, Lord, we ask that in this transition season for their family, that you would give them uh, the grace that they need, give them the right people that are going to be encouraging to them and bless them. And uh, Lord, as this church family gathers around them, Lord, uh, let us together do the things that you have called us to do here in the Salt Lake Valley and beyond. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And God, thank you for the Life Church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. One more time, welcome them uh, to Life Church. You want to put that on the... Uh, all right, good stuff. And um, all right. So a couple of things. Yeah, you're wondering if I'm going to have you stand up again, aren't you? And uh, 
so right now, even as we speak, uh, Hurricane Ida is uh, making its way onto Louisiana. So we're going to pray, pray for that, uh, that whole circumstance down there, and you guys will be able to be seated for that. Um, and then also just everything going on in Afghanistan, right? There is uh, a lot of troubling things that you hear about and see and all of that. And uh, while there is uh, very, very little that we can practically do right at this moment, the one thing we can do is we can pray and believe for God. Uh, really, there, folks, there's, I mean, besides everything you see on the television, I'm getting stuff concerning the church in Afghanistan and uh, the trouble that is sure to rise for the, for the church, uh, you know, that is uh, representing Jesus there on the ground in Afghanistan. We know that there's going to be trouble there and uh, difficulty. You need to pray for the church there and uh, just need to see God show his power and grace uh, in our world. And so let's pray for everybody in Louisiana right now and then all the stuff going on in Afghanistan. Father, we take time out of the service this morning and, uh, God, we are, uh, we are believing, Lord, for you to be with those who are in Louisiana right now as Hurricane Ida comes ashore. Lord, we pray your blessing upon those who have chosen uh, to remain behind and, uh, God, have not evacuated. We ask, God, you would protect life, uh, protect property. And, God, in the middle of this, uh, Lord, let there be miracle, uh, the miraculous presence of your Holy Spirit uh, at work there in Louisiana. God, we pray that, uh, that damage would be less than expected and that, God, we as a, a church family through the ministries that are already on the ground there, like Convoy of Hope and others, Lord, to be able to support uh, the recovery efforts uh, that will be there and uh, uh, just be able to, able to meet the needs of the community there in Louisiana. Um, Father, we also pray for Afghanistan. God, our, our, screen, our TV screens and news have been filled with uh, such disturbing images and things that have happened in this past week. We pray for your comfort upon the families that have lost uh, loved ones uh, in that bombing. We pray, God, also that you would, uh, you would work uh, hand in hand through partnership to bring as many people out of there as possible and that, God, the church that remains and those that remain, God, that, uh, Lord, you would draw them close to you and that, uh, Father, you would provide ways for the kingdom of God to expand even even in the middle of what seems like a hopeless circumstance and situation, uh, that God, uh, you would somehow be glorified and lifted up. Father, we see the world around us. And uh, God, uh, oftentimes we ask the question, why is this happening the way it is happening? And, um, and what, uh, what, um, what, ca- what were the circumstances that caused this to happen? But God, give us a different perspective today. God, give us a new way to look at this world around us and find opportunities to bring the light of Jesus Christ into our world. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, so we're now in the sixth of the primary miracles as told by John uh, in the book of John. So I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 9 if you could. We're going to be uh, talking about uh, this uh, really pretty incredible miracle. Uh, I mean, all of them are, right? Uh, but this one... Um, I thought I was going to be going a totally different direction with this message. And as I sat down and kind of looked through, uh, God really kind of changed the direction I wanted to go. Like, I had this plan. And if you look at my plan, I had written up for the seven miracles. Like, this is what we're going to talk about here. This is what we're going to talk about there. Yeah, this one, uh, very, very different. And I believe uh, God has something for us uh, today. Uh, so those, the, six, or the five miracles leading up to this, water turned to wine, the healing of the young son, at uh, the, the royal official's young son at just a word from Jesus. 
Jesus and at a distance. Um, a man that was crippled for 38 years and Jesus healed him. Uh, the feeding of over 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fishes. And last week, uh, walking on water and defying the laws of nature, right? And uh, Jesus was there recognized by his disciples right in the middle of the storm. Uh, I had to laugh. Um, one of our volunteers here, uh, Sally, she, um, she posted, I think the next day, uh, she works um, and helps with security. And she said, uh, my, in, in this post on Facebook said, my pastor talked about um, uh, you know, like Jesus' presence in the storms and holding steady in the storms. Well, just know there was this, um, uh, this storm that I created by somebody trying to shoplift and she took somebody down and she goes, that's the storm I'm talking about. So uh, I was very excited about that. Uh, thank you, Sally, for all the work you do here at Life Church. And uh, you scare me a little bit. Um, <laughs> and so as we're reaching the end of these recorded messages that, um, that uh, John records here, uh, Jesus had just had this incredible confrontation with the religious leaders. This is something kind of behind the scenes after a lot of these miracles take place. Um, confrontation with religious leaders happen. And Jesus performs miracles oftentimes on the Sabbath which is a time you're not supposed to work. And for some reason, Jesus likes to push people's buttons. Has Jesus ever pushed your buttons before? Okay, yeah, right, he does that. And uh, so he's pushing buttons here in the, in the religious world. And so he just had this big confrontation. And so he finds himself leaving the temple after this confrontation. And then this miracle begins to unfold. Now, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind? This man or his parents? Think about that question just for a moment. Who caused or who, um, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind, this man or his parents? The assumption is that a baby within the womb, right by that question, could perform some sort of sin which is probably like punching the bladder, right? That is a sin from the Lord, um, right? Um, so, so, right, I mean, that's kind of the implication. Who, who sinned that this guy was born blind, himself in the womb or his parents? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind. And the, the way this version is written, many of your versions say, he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. We must perform the deeds of the one who sent me, remember that word sent, as long as it is daytime, night is coming when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In fact, that phrase, I am the light of the world, is the thing that got him into trouble just a few verses earlier in John chapter 8. This is it. And so he leaves the temple after saying, I am the light of the world, and then he happens to run across a blind person. So answering the question of, <laughs> excuse me, of ah, <laughs> answering the question of how or why something happens can at times be uh, very unhelpful, right? I don't know about you, but I have certainly asked that question myself. Why did this happen? How, you know, how did this happen, right? But it can be very unhelpful at times. And the assumption of sin as the cause of bad things that happen to us is prevalent today, right? Because the disciples are asking, okay, who, who sinned that made this bad thing happen? Assuming that being blind is a bad thing. How often do we make this assumption even privately of someone's difficulty? Oh, 
If they weren't sinning like that, then this bad thing wouldn't have happened to them. We might even say it to ourselves, but if they just got their life together, this bad thing wouldn't have happened. Right? If they just loved Jesus more, then that bad thing, that diagnosis, whatever, that wouldn't have happened. We talked a little bit about this last week, right? What did Jesus say? He said, in this world, you are going to have trouble and suffering, but take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. So, so we know that you know, this, la- this lane that the disciples are traveling in, Jesus has already somewhat dealt with it, and yet they continue to come back to it. It sounds a lot like us, right? We continually come back to the things that Jesus has already dealt with uh, in our lives. So we can get really sidetracked today from this miracle that's recorded, but I do think it's important for us to grapple with this idea of why do bad things happen? We're not going to answer all the questions today. I'm sorry. That's just not the purpose of this message, but I am going to talk about it a little bit. Um, Jesus early, or Jesus at a point in Luke chapter 13, he deals with this, uh, this whole idea in a slightly different way. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 13. Some who were present, so he had gathered some disciples together around and some other people in a crowd. Uh, Some who were present on a certain occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed. Pilate was uh, an early leader in the Roman Empire there in Judea. Whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. This is actually a historical event that's recorded outside of the Bible, so we know that this event happened. Um, Jesus replied, do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than other Galileans, right? So Jesus immediately calls into question the assumption that these people were worse, and so therefore they got punished. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Then he goes on, what about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. So Jesus is dealing with this thing that I think we struggle with as well, right? Sometimes, again, we hold it privately. We say it to ourselves, right, that sin causes, sin, al- sin always causes bad things in my life. Sin is the root of the sickness that you are dealing with. Sin is the root of the problems within your marriage. Sin is the, right? And so we say, if you have sin, then this bad thing, you will be blind. And Jesus says, no. There's not necessarily an A plus B equals C when it comes to this particular circumstance for the blind person, this particular circumstance when it comes to the Galileans who were killed while they were worshiping God, and in this circumstance when the Tower of Siloam fell on 18 people and killed them. Jesus says, do you think you're any better than what they were? Do you think that sin isn't in your life as well? So Jesus says, you've got to look beyond the circumstance into something much different. And this is where he gets to with the blind man, and this is where he gets to here. He says, uh, no, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, the same hopeless death will be for you as well. Jesus is so concerned with our eternal life, right? He is so concerned about that that he wants us to get our lives right now because this is the life. This is it. This is all we have And we never know when, even if we are the most perfect human being living on the planet, that a tower of Siloam might fall 
on us. Are our hearts ready? That becomes the question that Jesus begins asking. And so when confronted with the same circumstances, the same basic idea of what the disciples question about the man born blind, where does sin come into the picture, Jesus? Um, we have to find something to blame for this bad thing that happened. And so it must be the sin that they committed or the sin that their parents committed or the sins, right? I mean, we go there. We can become guilty of that same kind of thinking. Where that then leads to is a weird sort of Christian karma, right? That we, you know, if, if I do good today, then good things will happen to me tomorrow, right? And if, and if I do something bad right now, then I know that tomorrow something bad is going to happen to me, right? It becomes this weird sort of nonsensical Christian karma, and we've got to get that out of our language, right? Out of our, out of our belief system, because that is not at all what the Bible reveals, Sometimes we blame sin because if we can blame sin, we can say they're the cause of their own problem, and so therefore I don't have to have as much compassion on them as I should. Ouch. Right? Their sin caused them to be in that circumstance, so therefore I don't need to respond to their circumstance because they caused it in their own life. And that's really what the disciples were getting at. Somebody sinned. He was blinded. What does that matter to us now? It's pretty quiet in here, <laughs> right? Because we, we, we struggle with this, folks. We really do. Driving by, you see a homeless person. This isn't even in my notes. This is extra. <laughs> and the reason why it's extra, because I'm dealing with it myself, right? You drive by, home. what do you think? What did they do to cause this to be happening in their life? They obviously made very poor choices at some point and sinned, and so therefore there they are homeless. Maybe for some, right? But for others, that's probably not the case. They're, they're going through a, 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 a terrible time, a child accident. Well, what sin did they cause as a couple, right? What sin happened with that son to get involved in that accident? Right, we, we go there, folks. Jesus is cautioning us very heavily, don't go there. It's not the purpose. But Jesus had none of this, right? For the blind man, it's not his sin. It's not his parents' sins. For the Galileans killed by Pilate, they weren't more sinful than their fellow citizens. And the unfortunate accident in Siloam wasn't targeting the, the uh, 18 sinful people, right? And God says, all right, there they all are. I've got them gathered in there. Boom, let me knock that tower over and kill them all, right? That's not at all the point. For the first century Jewish world, bad things equal sinful roots. The problem is that we are surrounded by a sin-filled, broken world and bad things happen to righteous people. Right? We, we, and we struggle with this. Um, the sinful, right, which we all are, are always subject to suffering. Accidents happen. Doesn't again necessarily mean that sin was involved, although we do know Sinful choices lead to bad outcomes, <laughs> right? I mean, we do know that sin can cause problems in people's lives. 
Some of us are a testament to that. <laughs> but to go there, Jesus was saying, no, don't, don't, don't worry about that because I've got something else to deal with. So Jesus confronts the heart of the issue for the disciples and the heart of the culture that they lived in and the heart of our culture as well. John chapter 9, verse 3 through 5, to the disciples, a glance at this man suggested a theological puzzle, right? Theology, like how, how do we make, you know, how do, how do we make this work theologically? To Jesus, a look in his direction presented a challenge, and so, so this is how it goes, and this is for us today. So they reasoned, how did he get that way? So this is their reasoning. How did he get that way? Why did he get that way? Why, why is he blind? Jesus, this is his answer, or question really. What can we do for him? It doesn't matter what caused that, a genetic anomaly. Is, doesn't matter. Jesus is saying that doesn't matter. This is the circumstance. What can we do now? What blessing can we provide for this blind man now? And this is what challenged me in this message. Because I wanted to go down this road of bringing, you know, of only like bringing light and being, you know, I was blinded and now I see. That's the direction I wanted to go. But God hit me like a ton of bricks, <laughs> right? The Tower of Siloam fell on me spiritually, <laughs> right? In that moment, and my message died <laughs> to go a totally different direction. There's two ways of looking at the circumstance, and Jesus' way is far better. Far, far better. So here lies this miracle. This is the ground of the action that Jesus is going to take to provide for the hurting, the broken, the marginalized, the forgotten, right? That, this is this blind man who lived a beggar's life. Jesus is like, we're going to do something about that. So when Jesus was confronted with reality, he's always looking for a way to bless. How can I bring light to a circumstance? How can I bring light to darkness? How can my presence lead to hope? in an individual or into a group of people. Verse six, having said this, right? Having, you know, having kind of walked through this idea of uh, the fact that, you know, it's nobody, nobody sinned, but I have come as the light to the world, right? Having said this, he goes, he does this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, he smeared the mud on the blind man's eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, right? So Siloam, same place where the tower fell. Uh, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So the blind man went away and washed and came back seeing. Okay, so a physical miracle happens in this moment. It's this beautiful story, right? This, this guy born blind Jesus puts mud on his eyes made from saliva and, and dirt, which is weird, <laughs> right? Puts it on his eyes, and he goes and washes in the pool of Siloam. It's a bit strange. Why did, do, why did Jesus do a miracle like this? Um, scholars have debated why he did this, but there's a very practical reason for this miracle to happen the way it did. He had mud on his eyes, he needed to wash it off, 
right? It might have been as simply practical as that. And there was no water around for Jesus. He just goes, hey, we're going to make this guy, he's going to want to go wash off. Let me put some mud on his eyes. And then boom, he's going to go wash off the mud. He doesn't want to have the mud on his eyes. I don't know exactly why. Scholars will debate this probably until Jesus returns. And we can ask Jesus himself why he did this this way. I'm sure the disciples are like, oh, great, our rabbi's doing strange things again, <laughs> right? Um, really quickly, he's working on a Sabbath. You might say, how is Jesus working? There's a prohibition among 39 laws within, the, within Judaism at the time of work that you were not to do on the Sabbath. And one of those things that you could not do on the Sabbath was knead dough, which involved this idea of putting, you know, different ingredients together and, and pushing them together. And so Jesus making mud by kneading it was forbidden by the Sabbath rules of law on that day. And so Jesus might have been just going, eh, stop me. <laughs> okay, I, don't, I don't know, right? So the blind man goes off to pull Siloam, washes off the mud. And Siloam, again, means scent. Uh, John translates this for us, and if you, uh, if you do go through the book of John, what you're going to see is this idea of sent over and over and over again, that Jesus was the one sent from heaven. Jesus is the one who was sent to bring life. He's the one sent to bring light to people, right? The sent idea is all over the book of John. And so John goes, okay, go, you are sent to the pool of Siloam by the one who was sent by the heavenly father to send you to the pool of Siloam. This whole idea is just beautiful in there. So, um, so practically, right, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. This guy goes over to the pool of Siloam. He, he, he washes off the mud. Imagine that moment when for the very, very first time he's able to see. Uh, don't do it right now. Go onto YouTube, not right now, and look up seeing for the first time or seeing in color for the first time. Or there's a whole bunch of uh, those kind of uh, medical miraculous things that have gone on, and it is wonderful. And you can get an idea of what's going on in this guy's life as he sees for the very, very first time. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Right? He said that earlier to the blind man, said it to the Pharisees, and got, he got himself in trouble. John chapter 1, verse 1. Right at the very beginning of what John writes, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. The Word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. And verse 4 says this, in Him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And the light shines on in the darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it. And so right before this, he told all of the religious leaders, I am the light of the world. He gets to this guy who is blind. He says, I am the light of the world. And to prove it, spits, puts mud on this guy's face, go wash in the pool of Siloam, washes it off. And this guy whose eyes were darkened, now filled with light for the very, very first time. Folks, the darkness around us never overcomes the light of Christ, right? There's a reality of darkness. We know that. We know that there's darkness, but that darkness never overcomes our life through Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, verse 12, this is what got him in trouble. Then Jesus spoke out again. He says, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus proclaiming his uh, status as light of the world, and there's a promise given. 
those who follow Jesus, right? Those who believe in him, those who live in him, those empowered by the spirit. Um, We will never walk in darkness. It doesn't mean that darkness again isn't around us, but we will never have our footsteps in darkness because Jesus lives within us and provides light for our lives. So remember, we're not asking the question, why did this happen? How did this happen? We're asking, what can we do now? What can we do now? And so this is revolutionary. How does, this pres- how does this present a new opportunity for the glory of God? How does whatever circumstance we, we are confronted with, how does this present an opportunity for the glory of God? Remember the context? Jesus in the story comes up on the man. We have no indication of conversation. Right? There's, there's, there's nothing here of you know, this guy calling out to Jesus. We don't have that recorded. What we have is Jesus walking by, noticing somebody who is blind, maybe a few questions that aren't recorded or asked, is find out that this guy is born blind. Um, There's no indication that this guy asked to be healed. There's no indication that Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed? There's none of that. This is so much like the other miracles that John records. Right, if you go back to the guy who was was, uh, sick in front of the, uh, the other pool, pool Bethesda, for 38 years, this guy doesn't start the conversation off by saying, heal me, Jesus. It's implied in what's responded to Jesus. Same sort of thing here. This blind man's not asking to be healed. But God is up to something in a life that doesn't expect it. How many of you have friends that don't know Jesus? Raise your hand really quickly. Hopefully it's all of us, <laughs> right? If you have no friends who are not Christian, is that a weird way to say that? If you only have Christian friends, there's a problem. Let me say it that way. If you only have Christian friends, that's a problem. Please find people that don't know Jesus. Get to know them. (laughs) That's what God's called us to do. All right? Um, Jesus in this moment for the miracles and preparing the crowd, having big music being played and like yelling and screaming, right? That's not the point of all of this. He's saying, how can God bring glory? How can my father bring glory in this circumstance? This happened on the Sabbath. Uh, really quickly here as we wrap up. Um, John chapter 9, verse 35. Um, if you remember the guy, a, a few weeks ago we talked about the guy who was at the pool of Bethesda. Um, he's healed, goes off, you know, takes his mat, goes home, and he gets in trouble with the religious authorities. Um, and then Jesus finds him a little bit later on. The same sort of story happens here. So later on, Jesus goes out. He's looking for this blinded guy because Jesus had heard that they had thrown him out. Thrown him out of the church. Thrown him out of the synagogue, okay? That's, this didn't line up with their experience of, of how things should happen. And they, this guy was thrown out and probably his family with him. Thrown out of the synagogue because Jesus had touched him. Crazy thing was, this guy didn't even know who Jesus was. This guy hadn't even met Jesus at this point. Didn't know who it was that had put mud on his face. Just knows somebody put mud on my face and then I could see So Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. So he found the man and said to him, do you believe in the son of man? The man replied, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So he's like, yes, of course I do, but I don't know who he is. Tell me who he is. Jesus told him, and I love this. Jesus told him, you have seen him. What a transformation in just a very short amount of time. No longer blind. He says, you have seen the son of man and he is the one speaking with you and he said Lord I believe and he worshipped him 
right? So this story, there's a lot about the light of life that comes to us in the story, right? Jesus is the light, right? He, he totally is that eternal life that we experience in him. And that's obviously a big part of the story, the, the miracle of, uh, of this guy seeing again. But I also think another big part of this miracle is seeing circumstances very differently. And Jesus pushing back at the disciples at the things that they thought knew, that they knew were so true. He says, no, 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 no. You've got to look differently at the world around you. So invite us to stand to our feet uh, this morning. Um, so as I said earlier, I've been challenged by the story in a new way. And I think it's that perspective because as a pastor, uh, uh, theodicy is the word that, that we use for trying to figure out the, the problem of evil and suffering in the world. It's called a theodicy, right? When you develop a way for, to figure out how God deals with all of this. Um, and as a pastor, I want to find theologically an answer for this. And I can fall in the same trap that the disciples fall into really easily because I can be very spiritual. And God says, stop it. Stop it. That's not nearly as important as what are you going to do now? Right? So our, our food share program, when people drive up, we ask them, have you sinned today? And if you have, I'm very sorry, you're going to have to hop out of the line, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to think that way, but somehow we do when it comes to pain and suffering and, and sickness, right? And bad things that happen. And Jesus is challenging us, folks. So it starts with when we leave from here that we see the world in a different light. We see that person who's broken and hurting. How do we respond? Again, it might not be to throw hundreds of dollars their way. That might not be wisdom, <laughs> right? When your coworker is hurting next to you at work because of a death in the family. All right, God, how can you bring light in this moment to this person? Your son or daughter had a terrible day at school and you know they were disobedient to you and sinned the day before. God, how can I bring light to this circumstance rather than blame, right? God, help us to change the way we see the world around us. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. You hear this morning as I shared, this is really two parts in this message. Um, the, the first part, I believe, is that, that big idea of Jesus bringing light. And you might be here this morning and you would say, you know, I have never experienced the light of Jesus Christ. I have been locked in a life of sin. I have been locked in this, in this just brokenness in my life and I feel like I am walking in darkness. And you would say, I, I know that I need Jesus. I don't know what it all means, but I know I need Jesus in my life to bring light right now to my life. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to just very quickly, just raise your hand just for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quite a few hands up. Thank you so much for your honesty, right, in this moment. Thank you. I'm going to pray very quickly for those who just raised their hands and, uh, and invite everybody in the congregation uh, to just repeat a very simple prayer after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking my sin away because of what you did on the cross. 
Lord, I don't don't fully understand it all. But Jesus, I trust you with my life. Bring light to me. Push away the darkness. Bring me hope. Get rid of fear. Jesus, I love you. And thank you again for changing my life. And Father God, also there are among us uh, those, um, Father, where we have the wrong perspective. God, we have a tendency to see the world in, in such a way as that we point the finger of blame, perhaps. We, we discount compassion. We, uh, we, we choose to kind of hold a blinded eye towards the needs around us because, God, we think we've got it figured out. But Lord, you're challenging us to not ask why or how did this happen or what caused this. But God, you're challenging us to say, now what? What can we do to bring light to this circumstance? And if that's you, uh, and by the way, my hand's going up with this one. (laughs) If that's you and you would say, Jesus, help me to have a different perspective on the suffering of the world around me and the brokenness, I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand very simply. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father God, I'm so grateful for this congregation. And God, let this response be more than just a hand raised in a moment. But God, let us as the believers as your believers, your sons and daughters. God, as those who are called to be part of the royal priesthood, we are royalty because of the relationship we have with you. But God, let us not be blind to the world around us. God, let us not be blind to the hurt and the pain associated with, yes, sin in this world. But God, let us not point a finger of blame, but realize that that finger points back at us. And so, Jesus, I ask that as we leave from this place today, God, let it start with even how we treat one another in this, in, uh, who are part of the kingdom of God. Help us to practice, uh, God, that grace on one another so that, Lord, when we leave from this place and we're confronted with darkness, that, God, we, uh, that we respond the way that you did, Jesus, and say, now what? How can we bring light to this dark place? Father God, I thank you for this congregation. Thank you, God, for every person that has that faith in you. And Lord, as you've called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you, help us, God, bring light through generosity. Help us bring light, God, through intentional love of others. And Lord, let your word come alive because we're committed to it, Lord. We love you this day. We ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, don't forget, make your way. Tate and Kristen, can you guys run out to the uh, lobby there? And uh, please t- take a moment, go out and, uh, and greet uh, Pastor Tate and Kristen and welcome them to Life Church. God bless you guys. Don't forget tonight, 5 p.m., business meeting.